Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Rocky Mountain Mason podcast. I am Ben Williams, your host, and today I will be relaying an overview of a medieval astrological technique that most likely is the inspiration behind the fabled star of Bethlehem. This is particularly poignant for the current time as an upcoming great conjunction on the winter solstice this year also changes triplicity from the earth signs to the air signs and according to the Iranians signifies the birth of a prophet as well, perhaps, as a new age. We will finalize the episode with our reading of chapter 16 of the three books of occult philosophy by Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa von Nettersheim. He again enumerates the doctrine of sympathies. Like makes like. Now, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do let us know. You may also become a patron by visiting our website, RockyMountainMason.com. Just scroll down to the patron link near the logo of this podcast. You might also want to check out LaughingLion.net. We have some interesting merchandise there, small batch, high quality goods for your consideration. Particularly, I would draw your attention to the Templar Rosary sterling silver handmade in Italy. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy on the star of Bethlehem. When we think of the star of Bethlehem, images of a blazing star in the east spring to mind. But was there really a star of Bethlehem that led the Magi to the Christ child on that fateful night all those years ago? Some scholars have alleged that the conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn that occurred in 7 BC could have been the fabled star. A conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn, the two superior planets, the greater benefic, that would be Jupiter, and the greater malefic, that would be Saturn, are known as the Great Conjunctions. The Great Conjunctions were taken by the ancients to signalize the quality of moments, to announce the beginning and end of eras, and to find the moments of great men, laws, and even dynasties. The Great Conjunction occurs in Aries once every 960 years or so. The famed medieval astrologer Abu Mashar, born 787 AD, died 886 AD, treats of the great conjunctions in his Book of Religions and Dynasties. On average, a great conjunction occurs about every 20 years. Now, remarkably, these conjunctions occur regressively in the same triplicity, that is, in zodiacal signs that have the same elemental value fire, water, earth, and air signs, 
12 or 13 times in one of those elements before the conjunction occurs in another triplicity. For example, Jupiter will conjunct Saturn in Aries, say, then, about 20 or so years later, in Sagittarius, then another 20 years or so later in Leo, and this triplet of conjunctions will repeat four times before the great conjunction occurs in a new triplicity and jumps to another element. Now, this switch in triplicity happens once in around 250-260 years. I've looked at tables of the Great Conjunctions going back centuries, and for the most part, surprisingly, this symmetry holds true. Every now and again, there is an interpolation of a conjunction in a different triplicity before the changeover, but for the most part, Abu Mashar's teaching holds up. Now, interestingly, Abu Mashar says that whenever the Great Conjunction switches triplicity rulership, the birth of a prophet is signified. The birth is then forecast by taking the mean time of the conjunction and projecting the longitude of the conjunction from the ascendant of the chart. Each sign counted is significant of years, each degree one-thirtieth of a year, until the exact date and time of a birth is predicted. We must remember that the Magi were of Persian origin, and this technique was quite likely known to them. Abu Mashar's teacher, Al-Kindi, was strongly influenced by the Hiranians, and an association with Persian wisdom is therefore inferable alongside the Aristotelian teachings that Abu Mashar transmitted to the West. The question becomes then, did the Great Conjunction of 7 BC switch triplicity? And did it occur in the so-called ninth house at its mean conjunction for the capital of the province wherein the prophet is said to be born, which is another of Abu Mashar's requirements. In fact, that requirement helps set the geography of where the birth will take place. For to position the chart such that the great conjunction perfects in the ninth house, the conjunction is happening, if you will, in the place where the sun would be at about sort of 2 p.m., if you like, in the sky. And that is obviously dependent on one's longitude and latitude to a certain degree, but mainly one's longitude. So the great conjunction preceding our star of Bethlehem occurred in 26 BC in at thir- three degrees Leo and 17 minutes. Leo is a fire sign. Leo, Sagittarius, Aries comprise the fire trigon, or the, the triplicity of the fire signs, each, you know, 120 degrees apart from the other in the method we use to split up the sky. So then, on May 29th, in 7 BC, the great conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn occurred at the 20th degree of Pisces, 55 minutes, which of course is a water sign, Pisces, Scorpio, Cancer comprise the water trigon, or the water triplicity. The conjunction then, switching from Leo and the fire triplet trigon, the fire signs, to Pisces, a water sign, clearly changed triplicity from fire to water. Remarkably, when viewed from Jerusalem, the capital of Judea, the conjunction began in the ninth house one of Abu Mashar's requirements for the place wherein the, to, to mark the province wherein the prophet would be born. 
Taking the mean time of the conjunction, which is about 9.57 and 30 seconds in the morning, the conjunction is 218 degrees and 45 minutes from an ascendant erected for Jerusalem. Following Abu Mashar's teaching, then, this converts to 7 years, 106 days, 12 hours, 44 minutes, and 54 seconds. The birth is therefore signified to occur at 10.44 p.m. on September 12th in the year 1 Anno Domini. Now remember, in the Gregorian calendar, there is no year zero. 1 AD is the year of Christ's birth. That right there, I think, is a remarkable coincidence. It could just as well have happened any other time. Now, interestingly, September 12th is close to the beginning of the Jewish New Year, which typically is around the um, autumnal equinox. And depending on the particular moon cycles, the date is within range of Rosh Hashanah. So the inns might well be full, certainly in the week or days preceding Rosh Hashanah, and folks might well be traveling home to family. And, of course, immediately before 1044 in the evening, Joseph and Mary would indeed have been looking to bed down for the night. Further, September, the approaching of fall, or autumn, is a fitting time of the year for shepherds to be watching their flocks by night. Now, of course, I'm not suggesting this is the time of Christ's birth. But the fact that this particular date and time can be arrived at using an age-old tradition of ancient astrology is frankly amazing. The time could just have easily have ended up being, say, 4 p.m. or 3 a.m. in a completely different year. So is it possible that the Magi performed a similar calculation in the years preceding Christ's birth, which led them to Jerusalem, to the audience of Herod, and then in search of the Christ child? Interestingly, there is another great conjunction about to occur. And this year, it's actually quite significant for other reasons. It occurs on the winter solstice, which is quite remarkable. That does not happen that often at all. Um, and it is also a great conjunction that is changing triplicity. It is changing, in this case, from an Earth triplicity, the Earth signs, to Aquarius, an air sign, or the airy triplicity. This conjunction is also quite remarkable in that Saturn and Jupiter will be literally half an arc degree, half an arc second or so apart. In fact, to the naked eye, they may well resemble one juicy star, like perhaps the star of Bethlehem, a big star. Um, the last time they were this close in right ascension, if you will, um, if that is the correct term, was 1623, when this conjunction happened, the great conjunction happened in Leo, uh, that was also in a fire triplicity back then and coincided with the emergence of the Rosicrucians in Paris. In the year 1623, a treatise began to be discovered stuck to the walls of the city of Paris, announcing the arrival of the Rosicrucians and uh, essentially stating that they um, brought knowledge and goodwill in the hopes of. Um, you know, transcending the iniquities of mankind to liberate um, human thought, if you will, for the coming age. I will uh, find that and read read it to you at the end of this podcast, since I'm sort of doing this off the cuff here. Um, nonetheless, um, this upcoming 
great conjunction that occurs in the very first degree of Aquarius, changing triplicity from the earth signs into the air signs under Abu Mushar's teaching signifies the birth of a prophet. So we set the location or we hunt for the location wherein the perfection of this conjunction, where the planets occupy the same longitudinal degree, if you will, which happens to be the 20, um, excuse me, the first degree of Aquarius uh, and the 28th minute of Aquarius, both planets in that point. In Denver, for example, when this happens, the great conjunction is rising. It is on the ascendant, right at the east, at the point of the sunrise, if you will, um, at the moment of the great conjunction, a few hours into the, the, the winter solstice. So we need to therefore move east probably about seven hours, Greenwich Mean Time, to put that conjunction, if you will, rotating the sky, so to speak, at about the two o'clock, one thirty o'clock um, place above above the or twelve thirty, excuse me, about twelve thirty one o'clock, um, yeah, maybe two o'clock in 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 the uh, in the sky, sort of after local noon, if you will, um, not of the sun, of course, of the, of the great conjunction, uh, and and the best meridian whereat that occurs the tightest right on the cusp within actually two minutes of the ninth cusp is Marrakesh, Morocco. At 4.14 p.m., the Great Conjunction perfects in the 28th minute of Aquarius and the ninth cusp at Marrakesh, Morocco at that moment is the 26th minute. That's a pretty tight, close um, occurrence. So to determine the birth date of the prophet signified, Abu Mashar informs us to project an arc from the ascendant of the meridian, whereat this conjunction perfects in the ninth house, to the place of the conjunction's perfection. So in Marrakesh, the length of the arc from the ascendant, which is 12 Gemini in 16 minutes, to the conjunction in the very first degree, the 28th minute of Aquarius, is 228 degrees and 12 minutes. Dividing each, dividing that by 30 degrees, you know, for each sign gives 7.606667 years until the birth signified by the conjunction. But Abu Mushar tells us that where the ascendant or the moon in the chart of the perfection of the great conjunction in the ninth house are in the, by, are in bicorporal signs. So when the ascendant or the moon is in either Gemini or Pisces, or any two-bodied, double-bodied sign. Um, Pisces and Gemini being the most obvious ones, but also, in a sense, Capricorn is bicorporal because it is a fish and a goat, and also Sagittarius is bicorporal because it is a man and a horse, right? It's a centaur. Um, so if the moon or the ascendant of that chart is in a bicorporal sign, we add an extra 12 years, um, because it doubles, if you will, the rotation. Now, in this chart for Marrakesh, 4.14 p.m., when the Great Conjunction perfects on the ninth cusp, Gemini rises. That's a bicorporal sign. And the moon is in the 27th degree of Pisces. So the moon is also in a bicorporal sign. So following Abu Mashar's teaching, we add 12 years to the arc, if you will, to signify the birth date of this prophet, he says in quotes, 
signified um, by this great conjunction, which changed triplicity. So that means it's 19.6066667 years, which is basically 19 years, 221 days, 14 hours, 2 minutes, and 36 seconds using, you know, 365.25 days per year. Now, this math, right or wrong, places the birth in Marrakesh, Morocco, or thereabouts, on July 31st in 2040 at 6.16 a.m. 6.16 and 36 seconds in the morning. Now, this is an interesting chart, actually. If you were to erect a chart for July 31st in 2040 at 6.16 and 36 seconds in the morning, um, you will see that Saturn is exalted on the third cusp. The sun is in domicile on the ascendant. The moon is exalted at the midheaven. And Jupiter is about to change sign and is therefore no longer debilitated. Jupiter is about to jump out of Virgo into Libra and is approaching the second great conjunction in the airy triplicity. Um, this is interesting because the third house where Saturn is exalted signifies brethren and initiatic societies. The sun in domicile on the ascendant is Leo rising with the sun. The, the birth happens at dawn, a dawn birth for the dawn of a new age, perhaps. Um, the moon in the MC, the, the, the midheaven, um, exalted in Taurus, um, is also a sign that is significant, I think, to Sufism and to Islam. Uh, Venus is significant of Islam. Um, see, for example, Al-Biruni's Book of Instruction in the Elements and Art of Astrology. Uh, they give um, to Islam uh, the planet Venus as a significator. Uh, obviously, Saturn is uh, Judaism and Christianity is the sun. And we see this in the holy days, of course, Sunday being the Sabbath of the Christian calendar, Saturn's day or Saturday being the holy day of the Jewish faith, and of course, Friday, Freer's Day, or, or Vendredi in French, right? Or Veneris in um, Spanish, Venus's Day uh, being the, uh, the sacred day of Islam. So Venus is significant of Islam. Um, Saturn in Libra is, we would say in medieval astrology, disposed by Venus, uh, meaning that uh, Saturn is in the domicile of Venus. And the moon is exalted and disposed by Venus by domicile, uh, Taurus being the other Venusian sign. So we have a lot of Venusian sort of secondary significances um, interpreting the uh, the moment, so to speak. Um, so it seems to me that on, uh, you know, if we are to follow Abu Mashar, I think this is an interesting um, technique, you know, whether or not it be true or not, who knows, uh, but it's certainly interesting. Uh, July 31st, 2040, at 6.16.36 a.m. in Marrakesh, Morocco, the birth of a prophet may well be signified. Uh, if we live long enough, you know, we'd probably have to live another 60 years to see. Perhaps then a new teacher will emerge, preaching a doctrine of secrets and of... Um, not necessarily parables, but sort of like Rumi-esque poetry... Uh, with with uh, Mercury and Pisces there, um, and essentially bring about a change of the law. Uh, we shall find out. Nonetheless, with the uh, advent upon us, I thought it interesting to pursue the Star of Bethlehem and apply Abu Mashar's teaching to that great conjunction 7 BC. 
And as I opened this podcast with, it is indeed remarkable that the math falls in the first year of the Christian calendar, the year of Christ's birth, at 10.44 p.m., which is in the evening, uh, about the time when the story says it happens, um, in a time, in a month close to Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. Um, I found all that absolutely remarkable. Um, and perhaps that is the inspiration for the gospel, um, whether or not that time is actually the, t- the birth of the, of the Christ child or not. Chapter 16 of the Three Books of Occult Philosophy by Heinrich Cornelius Agrippa von Nettesheim. How the operations of several virtues pass from one thing into another and are communicated one to the other. Thou must know that so great is the power of natural things that they not only work upon all things that are near them by their virtue, but also besides this they infuse into them a like power, through which, by the same virtue, they also work upon other things, as we see in the lodestone, which stone indeed doth not only draw iron rings, but also infuseth a virtue into the rings themselves, whereby they can do the same, which Austin and Albertus say they saw. After this manner it is, as they say, that a common harlot, grounded in boldness and impudence, doth infect all that are near her by this property, whereby they are made like herself. Therefore they say that if any one shall put on the inward garment of a harlot, or shall have about him that looking-glass which she daily looks into, he shall thereby become bold, confident, impudent, and wanton, In like manner, they say, that a cloth that was about a dead corpse hath received from thence the property of sadness and melancholy, and that the halter wherewith a man was hanged hath certain wonderful properties. The like story tells Pliny, if any shall put a green lizard made blind, together with iron or gold rings into a glass vessel, putting under them some earth, and then shutting the vessel, and when it appears that the lizard hath received his sight, shall put him out of the glass, that those rings shall help sore eyes. The same may be done with rings, and a weasel, whose eyes, after they are with any kind of prick put out, it is certain are restored to sight again. Upon the same account, rings are put for a certain time in the nest of sparrows, or swallows, which afterwards are used to procure love and favour. Now, I said at the 
in the earlier portion of this podcast that I'd read to you the declaration that the Rosicrucians stuck to the walls of the city of Paris back in 1623, the last time the Great Conjunction in in the Fire Trigon um, with, had the planets Jupiter and Saturn as close as they will be on December 21st this year. Now note that this happened in the sixth degree of Leo in the Fire Trigon, which is in opposition to the uh, current Great Conjunction upcoming in the first degree of Aquarius. Well, this is what it said. It said, We, the deputies of our chief college of the Brethren of the Rosy Cross, now sojourning, visible and invisible, in this town, do teach, in the name of the Most High, towards whom the hearts of the sages turn, every science, without either books, symbols, or signs. And we speak the language of the country in which we tarry, that we may extricate our fellow men from error and destruction. So I do want to say just a couple of things here before closing up this episode. I have a few minutes left before half an hour. I'm trying to keep these to half an hour outside of the interviews that I will be conducting in the future, which I'll bring to the full hour. But for the most part, we will try to keep this to 30 minutes only. This upcoming Great Conjunction, whatever you think about astrology or whatnot, um, is significant symbolically in many, many ways. In much the same way that Venus draws a pentagram over the nine months of its transits, Occidental and Oriental of the Sun, so too do these great conjunctions mark out great moments, cycles in the life of men. Abu Mushar uses these great conjunctions as one of the longer timescales to discuss really the establishment of great families of kings and rulers, and also laws, things which are generally immutable or take time to change, um, the law being more long-standing than the wars that are required to enforce them or to change them, and of course the laws being perhaps emergent from even longer um, dynasties, countries, and even religions. The longer cycle than the cycle of the Great Conjunctions and their um, changing cycling through the triplicities is, of course, the Great Year, the procession of the equinox through each of the signs, taking about 2,150 years, if you will, per sign, so that each age, if you will, um, of which, of course, the triplicity change of conjunctions occurs twice, perhaps two prophets per age, if you will, uh, one of whom is likely we would call an avatar in this sort of perennial tradition, so to speak, um, operates over a similar, um, a similar period. So each age processing through the sign is similarly associable, if you will, with these great conjunctions. Now, this, this change of um, the conjunction moving into Aquarius is interesting, of course, because the um, vernal point, the point where the ecliptic crosses the celestial equator, which is where, of course, the equinoxes occur. So in tropical um, 
I'm going to have to digress here a little bit. In tropical um, astrology, uh, the signs are set to the zero Aries is the vernal equinox. It is the point where the ecliptic and the celestial equator cross. Now, that point regresses, you know, one degree backwards against the fixed stars or the zodiac, if you will, about one degree per 72 years. So this vernal point, as I was about to say, is moving out of Pisces into the latter degrees of Aquarius. Now, actually, this depends where you set the beginning of the so-called great year. Again, these are not the sidereal positions. When we talk of Aries, we are not talking of the few stars that comprise that constellation that bears that name. Um, people say that the signs were named from the stars, but I think it's more accurate to say the stars were named from the signs. The signs, again, are not the constellations themselves, but are equal partitions of space that are based on the solar-Earth um, relationship. It's very important to make that distinction. Um, so where you set the first degree of Aries that started the first great year to set the signs through which the vernal point regresses alters dramatically when the age of Aquarius, if you will, actually begins. And as of this year, it's 420 years until the vernal point enters the constellation that we would demark Aquarius in 30 degree equal segments from where we might start zero Aries under the current, you know, Swiss ephemeris or the um, right ascensions that, that NASA might use. However, again, it depends where you set that point. So for, to some people, we're already in the age of Aquarius, and there are signs that we're on the cusp of a great change. I mean, we think of mass production. We think of the last few decades. We think of the iPhone. We think of the iPod. Uh, we think of the great, you know, end of Moore's Law, where more processors were, were um, you know, um, tightly packed into smaller chips, um, halving every six years or whatever it was. Um, all of this is part and parcel um, to this coming understanding of uh, what Aquarius signifies in these older traditions, um, especially things like common ownership, uh, ride sharing, like uh, Uber, actually, and Lyft, and uh, Airbnb, where there is no sort of private property. It's more of a commonality. Um, and in fact, the rise of state ownership, right? And we see nationalism and challenges to democratic institutions across the world today. Uh, we see a lot of unrest. We see the natural systems on the verge of collapse. And all this is consistent with these, what we might term, cusp periods when we view uh, medieval astrology um, and the cycling of ages through this lens. So this great conjunction is particularly significant because it's jumping out of these earth signs into the first degree of Aquarius. And if you will, this is the beginning of the beginning. This is the foreshadowing of the coming age. And I can't underscore the significance for the ancient tradition of this moment any more than I, than I probably already have. Um, the, the, you cannot overstate the significance of this event, symbolically speaking, in, with mind to these traditions. So in a very real sense, then, this coming 260 year or so cycle as the great conjunction cycles through the airy signs is going to be significant of a change, a change to human organization, um, a change to the law, a change to the rulerships uh, that govern 
our global community. And perhaps I will leave it at that. Well, that's it. Thank you for listening this far. If you've enjoyed this show, please reach out. Let me know. If you'd like to become a patron, you may do so at RockyMountainMason.com. And check out LaughingLion.net. Subscribe to our other magazine, The Esoteric Mason, for more material of this nature. I hope you have a very Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, or whatever holiday it is you celebrate. Perhaps just observe the Great Conjunction on the solstice. With due solemnity and reflection. And pray to the Most High that all things will be revealed in time. And until next time, take care. And Godspeed. <laughs>